Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast, the tree industry's longest running podcast. I'm your host, Corey Lofi, alongside Mr. Arborjet Joe Aitken, here for another compelling conversation about trees. Joe, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm recovering from the salted ice cubes that the barmaid serviced last night, so I'm a little dehydrated. I never heard that before, so it couldn't have been everything else that we had, but um, I'll make it through, Corey. It's not, I'll survive, but it's all good. Um, happy to be ready to uh, record tonight. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, trade, trade show season, Joe, this is kind of, you know, you got to train the liver, train your back, train everything, right? Oh, my God. You know, you're right. We obviously with the pandemic, we missed a year there, but... I, st- I truly do enjoy the trade shows and I'm actually in uh, Lansing, Michigan at the Michigan ISA show right now. And we broke a record this year with almost 500 attendees. Wow. So we're packed to the gills. Uh, climbing tree looks great. Um, great presentations. Uh, so it's going really well. So it's kind of exciting to get back into it, get some education uh, and just spread the, spread the tree love with all your treeples. So it's, it's good. I'm having fun. Well, and I can't, I can't think of a better person than our guest tonight to talk about spreading good vibes and spreading the love. So without any further ado, uh, Patrick O'Mara, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great, Corey. Corey and Joe, thanks for having me tonight. Uh, it's been a good uh, start of this year, and certainly as the rest of uh, you know, us catch up with life again, it's nice to get back into it. Awesome. Well, can you can you describe for the listeners maybe a little bit about your history in our boar culture, where you're at, and how you came to be in our industry, Patrick? Yeah, certainly. I've been practicing as an arborist for over 25 years now. It's something that I did as a, a kid and, you know, going through summers in college, I would come back and be on the pruning crew and graduated, went off, got my uh, big job after college and lost my soul for a good year plus uh, and was thrilled to get back into arboriculture. I went back, I was the super for, uh, supervisor for a larger landscape maintenance company and uh, continued doing my tree research and tree learning there and finally had enough side work that decided to uh, make my own company and that was 99 or so and haven't looked back so i'm on 20 you know 23 years of uh, being a small business owner here in colorado and the majority of that being an arborist it's fantastic it's been a good career was- path <laughs> It was funny today at the show, someone was asking me how long I've been doing this. And I, have, I picked up a chainsaw when I was 14 and I haven't set it down. So now I'm 56. So I was like, damn, that's like 42 years. Yeah. Um, and I had some, don't get me wrong, I had some other jobs in between there, but uh, I've been doing tree work for 42 years. Yep. So Pat, Patrick, what, what kind of tree work have you been doing lately and and you still climb i still climb i'm 51 and i have adopted new styles as they've come around and new gear and new techniques and i feel like i'm a constant learner Uh, i've done tree climbing competitions for 
I don't know, 12 years or so now. So it's been nice for me to be able to uh, not only do this for work, but do it for play. And really when I'm doing it for play, that's when I'm learning the most about this craft and, uh, you know, shooting, uh, talk and shop, I'll say with other arborists, not only about trees, but about climbing techniques and why something's better than the other. Uh, and it's just been such a valuable source of our arborist inspiration for me and information. So I've been really uh, excited to continue working. We're doing a lot of pruning right now. I live down south of the city of Denver and uh, nobody knows how to do anything down here with the trees. So we're staying very busy and uh, mother nature is certainly doing her part too. Doing some, uh, I mean, it's, it's been a tough year for trees as it usually is here in Colorado. Yeah, that, that's interesting. We, we take trees that would grow somewhere else in the Midwest or East Coast or something like that. And then we put them in our, our high plains, super rocky, undeveloped soils with rough, rough living conditions. And we go, grow. Yeah, we're, we, we force them. Sometimes we're successful. And uh, when we're not, that's when I come in. <laughs> I think that's Ozzy said. We force them to grow. Grow, yeah. grow, or else. Oh, I mean, down here, down south, I mean, virtually every single tree is human planted. So people talk about the way trees grow in a forest. This isn't the way trees grow in a forest. Uh, it's totally different. These are spread out. They have nice long branches that snap in snowstorms. And, um, you know, there's a modicum of protection that other trees around in a forest protect, uh, you know, these trees. And here we don't have that. So we are much more affected. Uh, trees grow like urban trees. Corey, what was it up with what was it uh, paleotropism that's it yeah people pressure on trees so instead of like a geotropism or a, a phototropism Corey and i came up with this term that one of the biggest problems with trees is us yeah so we came up with paleotropism i like it i'll start using that well and you know kind of thinking about that patrick you're totally right because so many more of the trees that that are planted in these urban settings especially out west here they don't develop they don't have the same necessarily the same growing structure and they don't develop the same scaffold limbs and, and the same tree form that you would expect to see where they want to grow in a forest uh east of us yeah yeah i mean the uh the trees themselves would normally shed those lower branches and they don't and it makes them more streamlined in, in nature when they're all growing up trying to reach that light. And when you don't have that, you just get, it's almost like lazy trees. They just flop out to the side. And yeah, it's. Jesus being lazy before, but yeah, if I don't got to reach up, why? Yeah, I don't, I don't have to search for the light. It's right here. <laughs> I just hang out yeah. right here. But, but it makes it a, a unique challenge. I mean, I got track qualified within the last two years, and you certainly understand how to try to minimize the damage that you know you're going to get with these, with especially snowstorms, you know, whether it's late season uh, or uh, early late season or late early season. Uh, both of them are right when you've got those leaves out there, and there's so much surface area, and that wet snow gets on there and, and it snaps them repeatedly. That's interesting because. You know, kind of as, as I was cutting my teeth on this coming out of school, cutting my teeth on it maybe 10, 15 years ago, when you would talk to somebody about tip weight reduction, 
or an overall like subordination pruning. Some of that stuff was kind of, it was kind of a new edge. And, and now, at least for the, you know, for folks in the front range of Colorado, you've been practicing it for years. Right now, you're seeing a lot of qualified arborists uh, excel in cutting green branches. I think any of us as, as good enough arborists can go in and cut dead branches off. They're easy enough to see, identify, whatever. It's easy for us to go to that. And that's fine too. I like when someone just goes and deadwoods a tree. It's very clean. It's very kempt. But if you are going to be forward thinking, knowing that some of these types of trees especially are going to snap, then if you can get in there and affect some of that, even if you're just taking some of that, uh, and it's not even taking the weight off, it's just reducing that. I mean, the amount of weight that comes off is negligible. It's just the fact that you've got this really long lever arm that you shorten. Everything thickens up. It's a smaller, stronger branch. Wow. Phys <laughs> physics class. Think, think lever, fulcrum, all that. Oh yeah, yeah. Levers are fun until it's above your above your house or your hot tub or your deck or your fill in the blank. Yeah, it's interesting that you know we talk uh, being from Detroit and being Michigan. You know the trees obviously do grow different. Um, we, Corey, you and I have talked in previous podcasts of um, you know, where you're at in the world and how trees are all different and what tree species you deal with. And you never, you know, it, it always amazes me that how trees do grow different in each geographical region. So an ash tree in Michigan is one of the best trees you can possibly plant. And you plant them out in Colorado and they struggle. And you maintain them a lot different than we do here. So that's a good point to let everybody that's listening there to just remember that, you know, not all trees are designed to be planted all around the world. That That's it. And. I remember my first couple of years in the front range kind of driving around and elms don't look the same. Maples don't look the same. Ashes don't look the same because of what Patrick's been talking about here. They're, they're so much more prone to a lot of wind and uh, late season or early season snowstorms that you look up at a canopy where in the Midwest, you might see 20, 30% loss and maybe a couple, you know, one or two big limbs gone. But here in the front range, here in Colorado, you, you'd be hard-pressed to find a tree that didn't have a deformed canopy. In some way, absolutely. You know, something like lilac ash borer has been common in Colorado. Ash were overplanted down in the south where I am. So you have almost a monoculture. I take care of an HOA that has 650 trees. 500 of them are green ash. They line every major entrance uh they go to the pool they go to the school it, and that's all they have wow. that's all they, it's literally the only type of trait they have so we've we've come in and we've gotten a handle on that but statistically because i'm near five of a six-year contract i've seen all of these trees and statistically every single one of them has had lilac ash borer damage at some point and maybe a quarter plus have, have had storm damage at least that, you know, you can see what that's been there in the last couple of years. You got, you got to love the old ash storm damaged hanger. Yeah, that's pretty much the most common one that you see out there. <laughs> well, pa Patrick, I know, I know that you've got many, many years of climbing experience and you were talking about how you're climbing and how you approach 
things has changed over the years. Now you can, you could take this to whatever level you want, but what are some of the key things that have, that have changed either how you look at a tree or how you're now climbing? Number one thing is the safety aspect. I think, I mean, you look at what you have to do to pass the certification test, the climber specialist, just the emphasis on a safety mindset when you're going onto that job site, I'm celebrating 25 years at height at work and never, ever, ever having an accident. I'm knocking on my table right now pretty heartily. Um, that's at work. At play, sure, I've gotten hurt. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about that later. But yeah, uh, so the number one thing is safety. It is making sure that you are not only PPEing up yourself, whether it be chainsaw pants and a helmet and correct safety, not sunglasses and uh, boots and whatnot, but making sure the other people around you are too. It's not enough that I'm safe. You know, you're really looking out for everybody else. And then you have to look beyond the job site and just look into the street at the person who's walking through your coned off area as you're yelling, stand clear and things are bombing down. Uh, yeah, that culture of safety will make sure that someone on the ground spots it first and you know, calmly tells you to stop everything that you're doing right now. Um, once you get past that, then you just start going into all the innovations that these fantastic arborist innovators are making, uh, devices so that we can ascend much more easily than we've ever done, uh, double rope system, hybrid systems, uh, fall arrest systems. It's so nice to have all of these options and a lot of people who are willing to share their knowledge about how to use them and how to use them safely. Uh, so it's been a very exciting time. Like I said, I'm 51. I've been doing uh, stationary rope climbing now for about five, six years, and it has reinvigorated me as a climbing arborist. I have much more fun now than I've ever had. Let me let me let me pick your brain real quick, Patrick. Now, obviously, this is a safety safety orientated uh, industry, and we we pride ourselves on safety. But if you look statistically, you know, through ISA and TCIA, accidents are up. People are getting hurt still. And as we try hard to be more safety conscious, I posed a question to ISA at a recent event that as they post injuries that happen in arbor culture, what percentage of these people that are getting injured are certified arborists versus not? So, it's amazing that you get exposed to the culture through climbing, through shared uh, interests with fellow arborists. Is is that really the, the the demographic that's getting hurt and making the industry look bad, or is it people that are not um, involved? What do you think? What's your what's your what's your take on that? Because it, I hate to hear that somebody got hurt and they posted it all over, but are they really? educating themselves and following the steps to become a really good arborist? Well, the fact is we are in a hazardous uh, occupation. And so those hazards exist, whether you are a newbie, a greenhorn, or someone who is like me, 25 plus years in the industry, those hazards don't go away. It is your understanding of how to mitigate them and your, your want to mitigate them. There are a lot of cowboys out there and God bless them, they go up there and they just race around that tree and there's something that's impressive. There's something sexy about the, the cowboy out there doing it. But more often than not, that's who you see laying on their back 
after falling 25 feet after cutting their rope with one hand because they're not studying the chainsaw like they're supposed to, whatever. You know, those those guys who are getting hurt, the ones who are not wearing chainsaw protection up in the tree in the canopy, you know, it's not the American standard that you have to, it's European standard. I think it's a better standard. You know, if you're 35, 50 feet up, who wants to be cutting into your leg and then trying to make it back down, uh, you know, before you bleed out, it doesn't make sense. So these people who are wearing the correct gear um, aren't necessarily uh, certified. I would say a lot of them are qualified. And I'm gonna say that a bunch of people who are certified are pretty, are pretty safe out there. Do they get hurt too? Absolutely. But yeah. across the board, I see people who are certified either as arborists or more likely as a climber specialist. You get the tree worker certification through ISA and you truly become an internationally cert certified climber specialist. Uh, people who have, go th who have gone through TCIA's programs, uh, there is so much safety that TCIA puts out there. It's phenomenal. There's CTSB, the Certified Tree Care Safety Professional. I mean, come on, if you've got that type of qualification, you're more likely to know about safety and employ it on a day-to-day -day basis. Well said. And it's kind Pat of what I wanted to direction, so well said. And Patrick, what I, what I really love about, about you and, and your involvement on and off with TCIA and with some of the local climbing Facebook pages and all that, you're raising the bar. Can you talk a little bit about what you did at the Pro Green Expo? You and, pardon me, you and the team did at the Pro Green Expo in Denver, Colorado, a couple weeks ago to where you had a full-size tree in a building. What, what were you thinking? What were you doing? Because it was, it was cool to see. I appreciate that, Corey. I'm so fortunate to have established over the past probably five, six years, a good amount of really qualified arborists who work within this region. Uh, many to most of them have their own companies. They have their own insurances. They do it right. They have their own licenses. And for me to be able to tap into that group for work alone is phenomenal. That's all we do. I've got probably 15 plus people who I go to who have different uh, good qualities in the business. He's a good climber. He's got a good chipper. That guy's got a grapple. That guy's got a crane, you know, and that's, that's who you find in this industry to work with. And you establish that relationship with them where you just feel each other. You're safe. You're productive. Everybody's making money. Nothing gets hurt. Nothing gets broken. And it, it's just such a nice thing to be a part of. And then you go out, you know, with kind of some trepidation in your heart and you go, hey, does everyone want to give up a bunch of their time to go volunteer, go climb a tree inside that you don't get paid for? And it's just like double hands up in the air. Yes. And, you know, they absolutely do. We had board certified master arborists who were donating their time to the cause and we had uh, 35 people signed up. Full conference passes uh, were bestowed upon all of these arborists. They got to go in and do classes in the conference. They got to come back and teach classes, participate in classes. And, and that was my thing. You didn't need to teach a class to be able to be a part of this. Sometimes you just need help. You need the, the arborist on the ground who's going to be putting on uh, you know, something to your rope. Hey, could you put on this for me? And they put it on expertly and send it back up. Uh, it was really neat to gather such a diverse group of people 
and have them all have that common cause of, uh, of arboriculture. And uh, we had the science people out there. We had the climate people out there. We had Spanish speakers. We had a women's roundtable group. That, that was our Thursday at one o'clock. That was just phenomenal. That attracted all of these women in the industry and men as well to talk about some of the issues and uh, some of the good things about having women in arboriculture. It was just, it was, it was a great smattering of the arborist population and very qualified people at that. Well, and, and here's Patrick, kind of the orchestrator. You know, I, I got to show up as, as you all, guys and gals, as you all were hoisting this, this 10, 12, 14 inch ash tree, as you were hoisting it off the ground and propping it upright just to watch that happen and then follow that up by two and a half days of basically you were in a saddle, a number of other folks were in a saddle the whole time, but talking and educating and taking questions and listening. Like you said, you had, you had people that were just kind of walking the trade show floor and they'd come up and they'd see a guy or a gal 15, 20 feet up in a tree going, wow, I didn't even know. I didn't even know there was a direction I could go. So, so that was, that was really cool uh, for me to see. And I, 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 Joe, I think you were, we were kind of talking before we hit the record button. Is this something that you're seeing in, in other parts of the country where, where you'll have this group of arborists actually bring in a full size tree? Yeah, we're at Michigan. They had one. Uh, so right tree was the a sponsor. Like, again, like Patrick said, it's, it's an amazing group. Arboriculture is a very interesting group of people and they're always so willing to give. Um, and it's amazing here in Michigan, we got right tree uh, sponsored the climbing tree. They got their uh, bucket truck in there and they said it's all rigged right to the ceiling of the convention seal center. You're talking 30, 40 foot tree. Uh, uh, Ohio's ISA, same thing. Another great big chapter uh, for an individual state. And they did the same thing. And, it's a, you know, even climbing comps, you know, be not even just trade shows, but climbing comps, everybody just, it's all hands-on. You're just seeing this amazing group of guys come together to put on an amazing event to support the industry. And, you know, we've talked in the past what a humble bunch of great guys and they're even at climbing comps are willing to help each other out you know, as they compete against each other. They're helping each other out even then. So it's a great group of people. Um, and I think we are doing a really good job of trying to make sure everybody is safe and goes home at night, but um, it's pretty cool. The, the level of education that's out there now uh, compared to me when I started, um, it's just incredible. And then like I was, like, I like said, I try to get like Patrick to say, and what he did say was it's a culture. Safety is a culture. You're going to want to learn it and you're going to want to be safe. If you don't want to be safe, you're probably going to have a problem. Yeah, no, I, that's that's a good way to look at it, Joe. I, I really I really feel that is, and I, I do feel like, as Patrick said, that we are progressing. Our culture, everything about the industry is kind of moving in, in a safer, a smarter, a more functional, or uh, a more scientific, more sustainable way. So, Patrick, as you're as you're looking back on your career and reflecting upon where you want your career to go and where you want this industry to go. What stands out in your mind as, as something that we can affect positive change on or a direction that you want things to go? 
I want good competitors. I want my competition, and I'll put that in quotes, to be out there and be as certified, if not more certified than I am. I don't care if I lose business to someone who I, who I like and respect in the industry. That's who I should be losing to. I shouldn't be losing based on price. I should be out there saying the exact same thing that all of these other qualified arborists who own their own companies are saying. It's great because I've, I've heard that now consistently. We've got a great Rocky Mountain chapter. We've got a great Rocky Mountain presence. Uh, and you go and you have the customers say, wow, that's the same thing that the other two arborists said. And it's so nice because then, you, then, you're, then you're on the same playing field. And they can take price out of the equation. They just, you know, they figure at that point, whoever talks the best tree and the, and the person who is the low price guy isn't even considered even more anymore. Wow. You know? And, and that's neat. And it's because of the education of all of us arborists, whether it's just from regular person to you get city certified. I had one arborist who I hired a ton and he was an ISA certified, but he was city certified. He went to the city of Denver and took their test. It's a physical test. And he took their written test and he passed both. That to me is some type of certified or at least qualified arborist. And that's who I'm going to hire as my subcontractor over someone who doesn't have any qualifications. Uh, my current round of subcontractors though, I mean, I would say probably two thirds of them have some sort of industry certification uh, whether that's ISA, city certified. Uh, my friend Jackie just came in from out of town and she's the nation's first grapple saw operator who's licensed, you know, and that's who's working uh, with me. We have a lot of fun and we have a lot of safety. And when we do that, we have a lot of jobs and we all make a lot of money. You, may, you, you mentioned something, Patrick. I love the fact that uh, when you first said, uh, started your comment, you said competitors. My first thing I thought was competition, your competitors. But Corey, I don't think we've ever discussed that topic, competitors, um, on an episode of the podcast. And you're right, Patrick, that's got to be refreshing to step up on a job site and talk to the, the uh, point of contact there and know that we're all on the same page and it's, it's exactly what we're trying to achieve nationwide or internationally, even that ISAs and TCIA are international organizations to have a standard language. We, mm -hmm. uh, in, in think about standard language. We were at a booth today that had a climbing arch and even the standard languages of equipment, not, you know, we, one guy tied a knot and we're all like, what do you call that? Everybody had a different name for it. Mm -hmm. So getting this industry standardized, which is, I know was a, a big thing for ISA and TCIA, I think is a great idea. Thanks for bringing that up. You end up having compatriots, not competitors. And that's, I think, how we can then continue to learn too. Yeah. Best, best way to move this industry as a whole in the right direction and, and forward. So Patrick, as we, as we wrap up our conversation today, if you could look at either a younger you or somebody who's just green and getting into this industry and give them one piece of advice, what would that be? <laughs> Besides low and slow, which is how they should try everything new, um, get, in, get, in the, 
get in the groups that are out there doing it. Talk with people who are doing it. And don't be afraid to look kind of dumb sometimes asking that question about, hey, what do you even use this for? Uh, if you can happen to go on some recreational tree climbs, wow, where you are learning how to do something completely different, but you don't have the pressure of work involved. You don't have the go, go, go of the boss, which I understand. You know, I understand why that would be there. Um, and it's not the only place, obviously. Uh, when I hire uh, subcontractors to come in, I generally find out what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then if they tell me a good weakness, then we exploit it. We go out and I've got a job. Uh, for instance, I had a job where the person had never used a cat and hook. So there were four honey locusts really close to each other. And we went out there, uh, we borrowed a cap and hook for, from uh, someone else. And I had mine and we went and we were traipsing through the canopies of these trees because it was no matter how poorly it was done because it was their first time, it's still gonna be more efficient than climbing all four trees. So it was just a phenomenal day. And that way that person got paid training. I usually pay about 350 a day for my contract climbers. They got paid $350 a day to come out and train in something brand spanking new to them. And that was neat. So what the, the one bit of advice I would give, know who your advocates are in this industry and, uh, and go, go climb with them. Go, go find out what other people's knowledge is because it's much greater than yours. That's awesome. That's awesome. Nice. Awesome, Patrick. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for all of your involvement, both with the local ISA and then with the local climbing groups and for what you just did at the Pro Green Expo. It, it, you know, truly thank you for everything you do. Thanks for coming on tonight and, and chatting us up and really great to hear the perspective of, of everything you've, you've, you've seen over the years. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate it. This is, I'm a lifer. This is what I will do for the rest of my life. My wife asked me if I'm going to be climbing at 65. And I said, you bet I'm going to be climbing at 65. I will be old and fat and happy and climbing. Good for you. Me too. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Hey, great topic today. Yes. Yeah, so lots of good information. Yeah. Probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing, Signing out. out.